Biographical Sketch by Heinrich Heine, translated by Emma Lazarus, read for LibriVox.org by Eva Davis. Harry Heine, as he was originally named, was born in Düsseldorf on the Rhine, December thirteenth, seventeen ninety nine. His father was a well-to-do Jewish merchant, and his mother, the daughter of the famous physician and Alec Conler von Gerden, was, according to her son a femme distingue his early childhood fell in the days of the occupation of dusseldorf by the french revolutionary troops and in the opinion of his biographer Strotman, the influence of the french rule thus brought directly to bear upon the formation of his character can scarcely be exaggerated his education was begun at the franciscan monastery of the jesuits at dusseldorf where the teachers were mostly french priests and his religious instruction was at the same time carried on in a private jewish school his principal companions were jewish children and he was brought up with a rigid adherence to the hebrew faith thus in the very seed time of his mental development were simultaneously sown the germs of that gallic liveliness and mobility which preeminently distinguish him among german authors and also of his ineradicable sympathy with things jewish and his inveterate antagonism to the principles and results of christianity as the medical profession was in those days the only one open to jews in germany the boy heine was destined for a commercial career and in eighteen fifteen his father took him to frankfurt to establish him in a banking-house but a brief trial proved that he was utterly unsuited to the situation and after two months he was back again in Düsseldorf. Three years later he went to Hamburg, and made another attempt to adopt a mercantile pursuit, under the auspices of his uncle, the wealthy banker, Solomon Heine. The millionaire, however, was very soon convinced that the fool of a boy would never be fit for a counting-house, and declared himself willing to furnish his nephew with the means for a three years' course at the university in order to obtain a doctor's degree and practice law in hamburg it was well known that this would necessitate harry's adoption of christianity but his proselytism did not strike those whom it most nearly concerned in the same way as it has impressed the world so far from this being the case he wrote in eighteen twenty three to his friend moza here the question of baptism enters none of my family is opposed to it except myself but this myself is of a peculiar nature with my mode of thinking you can imagine that the mere act of baptism is indifferent to me that even symbolically i do not consider it of any importance and that i shall only dedicate myself more entirely to upholding the rights of my unhappy brethren but nevertheless i find it beneath my dignity and a taint upon my honour to allow myself to be baptized in order to hold office in prussia i understand very well the psalmist's words good god give me my daily bread that i may not blaspheme thy name the uncle's offer was accepted in eighteen nineteen harry heine entered the university of bonn during his stay in hamburg began his unrequited passion for a cousin who lived in that city a passion which inspired a large portion of his poetry and indeed gave the keynote to his whole tone and spirit 
he sings so many different versions of the same story of disappointment that it is impossible to ascertain with all his frank and passionate confidences the true course of the affair after a few months at bonn he removed to the university of Göttingen, which he left in eighteen twenty two for berlin there is no other period in the poet's career on which it is so pleasant to linger as on the two years of his residence in the prussian capital in his first prose work the letters from berlin published in the rhenish westphalian indicator he has painted a vivid picture of the life and gaiety of the city during its most brilliant season at the last rout i was particularly gay i was so beside myself that i really do not know why i did not walk on my head if my most mortal enemy had crossed my path i should have said to him to-morrow we will kill each other but to-night i will cordially cover you with kisses tu es beau tu es charmant tu es l'objet de ma flamme et je dors ma belle these were the words my lips repeated instinctively a hundred times and i pressed everybody's hand and i took off my hat gracefully to everybody and all the men returned my civilities only one german youth played the boar and railed against what he called my aping the manners of the foreign babylon and growled out in his old teutonic beer-drinking bass voice at a german masquerade a german should speak a german oh german youth how thy words strike me as not only silly but almost blasphemous at such moments when my soul lovingly embraces the entire universe when i would fain joyfully embrace russians and turks and throw myself in tears on the breast of my brother the enslaved african the doors of the most delightful intellectual society of germany were opened to the handsome young poet who is described in a contemporary sketch as beardless blond and pale without any prominent feature in his face but of so peculiar a stamp that he attracted the attention at once and was not readily forgotten the daughter of elisa von holnhausen the translator of byron has given us a charming sketch of her mother's thursday evening receptions which heine regularly attended and where he read aloud the unpublished manuscripts of his lyrical intermezzo and his tragedies almansor and ratcliffe he was obliged to submit writes mademoiselle von holnhausen to many a harsh criticism to much severe censure above all he was subjected to a great deal of chaffing about his poetic sentimentality which a few years later awakened so warm a response in the hearts of german youth the poem ending zu deinen Zusenfussen, at thy sweet feet met with such laughing opposition that he omitted it from the published edition opinions of his talents were various a small minority had any suspicion of his future undisputed poetical fame elisa von holnhausen who gave him the name of the german byron met with many contradictions this recognition however assured her an imperishable gratitude on heine's part not only his social and intellectual faculties found abundant stimulus in this bracing atmosphere but his moral convictions were directed and strengthened by the philosophy and personal influence of hegel 
and his sympathies with his own race were aroused to enthusiastic activity by the intelligent jews who were at that time laboring in berlin for the advancement of their oppressed brethren in eighteen nineteen had been formed the society for the culture and improvement of the jews which though centred in berlin counted members all over prussia as well as in vienna copenhagen and new york heine joined it in eighteen twenty two and became one of its most influential members in the educational establishment of the verein he gave for several months three hours of historical instruction a week he frankly confessed that he the born enemy of all positive religions was no enthusiast for the hebrew faith but he was none the less eager to proclaim himself an enthusiast for the rights of the jews and their civil equality during his brief visit to frankfurt he had had personal experience of the degrading conditions to which his people were subjected the contrast between his choice of residence for twenty-five years in paris and the tenacity with which goethe clung to his home is not as strongly marked as the contrast between the relative positions in frankfurt of these two men goethe the grandson of the honored chief magistrate surrounded in his cheerful burgher life as carlyle says by kind plenty secure affection manifold excitement and instruction might well cherish golden memories of his native city for him the gloomy judengasse which he occasionally passed where quote, squalid painful hebrews were banished to scour old clothes unquote, was but a dark spot that only heightened the prevailing brightness of the picture but to this wretched byway was relegated that other beauty enamoured artist soul heine when he dared set foot in the imperial free town here he must be locked in like a wild beast with his miserable brethren every sunday afternoon and if the restrictions were a little less barbarous in other parts of germany yet how shall we characterize a national policy which closed to such a man as heine every career that could give free play to his genius and offered him the choice between money-changing and medicine it was not till he had exhausted every means of endeavoring to secure a remission of the humiliating decree that he consented to the public act of apostasy and was baptized in the summer of eighteen twenty five in the lutheran parsonage of heiligenstadt with the name of johann christian heinrich during the period of his earnest labors for judaism he had buried himself with fervid zeal in the lore of his race and had conceived the idea of a prose legend the rabbi of bacharach illustrating the persecutions of his people during the middle ages accounts vary as to the fate of this work some affirm that the manuscript was destroyed at a fire in hamburg and others that the three chapters which the world possesses are all that were ever completed heine one of the most subjective of poets treats this theme in a purely objective manner he does not allow himself a word of comment much less of condemnation concerning the outrages he depicts he paints the scene as an artist not as the passionate fellow-sufferer and avenger that he is but what subtle eloquence lurks in that restrained cry of horror and indignation which never breaks forth and yet which we feel through every line 
gathering itself up like thunder on the horizon for a terrific outbreak at the end would that we could hear the explosion burst at last we long for it throughout as the climax and the necessary result of the lowering electric influences of the story and we lay aside the never-to-be-completed fragment with the oppression of a nightmare but a note of such tremendous power as heine had struck in this romance required for its prolonged sustention a singleness of purpose and an exaltation of belief in its efficacy and truth which he no longer possessed after his renunciation of judaism he was no longer at one with himself for no sooner was the irrevocable step taken than it was bitterly repented not as a recantation of his principles for as such no one who follows the development of his mind can regard it but as an unworthy concession to tyrannic injustice how sensitive he remained in respect to the whole question is proved most conspicuously by his refraining on all occasions from signing his christian name heinrich even his works he caused to appear under the name of h heine and was once extremely angry with his publisher for allowing by mistake the full name to be printed the collection of poems in prose and verse known as the reisbilder embraced several years of heine's literary activity and represent widely varying phases of his intellectual development we need only turn to the volumes themselves to guess how bitter an experience must have filled the gap between the buoyant stream of sunny inspiration that ripples through the Hartsreise and the fierce spirit of vindictive malice which prompted heine six years later to conclude his third and last volume with his unseemly diatribe against count platen notwithstanding their inequalities the reisebilder remains one of the surest props of heine's fame so clear and perfect an utterance is sufficiently rare in all languages but it becomes little short of a miracle when as in this case the medium of its transmission is german prose a vehicle so bulky and unwieldy that no one before heine had dared to enlist it in the service of airy fantasy delicate humour and sparkling wit during the summer of eighteen thirty while he was loitering at Helgoland, he was roused to feverish excitement by the news of the july revolution he inveighed against the nobility in a preface to a pamphlet called kaldorf on the nobility which largely increased the number of his powerful enemies though literary censorship had long mutilated his prose writings besides materially diminishing his legitimate income by prohibiting the sale of many of his works he now began to fear that his personal liberty would be restricted as summarily as his literary activity and in may eighteen thirty one he took up his residence in paris he perfected himself in the french language and by his brilliant essays on french art german philosophy and the romantic school soon acquired the reputation of one of the best prose writers of france and the wittiest frenchman since voltaire he became deeply interested in the doctrine of saint simonism then at its culminating point in paris its central idea of the rehabilitation of the flesh and the sacredness of labor found an enthusiastic champion in him who had so long denounced the impracticable spiritualism of christianity 
he the logical clear-headed sceptic in all matters pertaining to existing systems and creeds seems possessed with the credulity of a child in regard to every scheme of human regeneration or shall we call it the exaltation of the jew for whom the messiah has not yet arrived but is none the less confidently and hourly expected embittered by repeated disappointments by his enforced exile by a nervous disease which had afflicted him from his youth and was now fast gaining upon him and by the impending shadow of actual want heine's tone now assumes a concentrated acridity and his poetry acquires a reckless audacity of theme and treatment his neue Lieder, addressed to notorious parisian women were regarded as an insult to decency in literary merit many of them vie with the best of his earlier songs but the daring defiance of public opinion displayed in the choice of subject excluded all other criticism than that of indignation and rebuke there is but a single ray to lighten the gathering gloom of heine's life at this period in a letter dated april eleventh eighteen thirty five occurs his first mention of his liaison with the grisette mathilde croissance mira who afterwards became his wife this uneducated simple-hearted affectionate child-wife inspired in the poet weary of intellectual strife a love as tender and constant as it had been sudden and passionate a variety of circumstances having combined to reduce heine to extreme want he had recourse to a step which has been very severely censured he applied for and received from the french government a pension from the fund set aside for quote, all those who by their zeal for the cause of the revolution had more or less compromised themselves at home or abroad unquote. now that the particulars of the case are so well known it would be superfluous to add any words of justification it can only excite our sympathy for the haughty poet doomed to drain so bitter a cup he was pressed to take the oath of naturalization but he had too painful experience of the renunciation of his birthright ever to consent to a repetition of his error he would not forfeit the right to have inscribed upon his tombstone here lies a german poet in eighteen forty four his uncle solomon died and as there was no stipulation in the banker's will that the yearly allowance hitherto granted to heinrich should continue the oldest heir karl announced that this would altogether cease this very cousin karl had been nursed by heine at the risk of his own life during the cholera plague of eighteen thirty two in paris the grief and excitement caused by his kinsman's ingratitude fearfully accelerated the progress of the malady which had long been gaining upon the poet and which proved to be a softening of the spinal cord one eye was paralyzed he lost the sense of taste and complained that everything he ate was like clay his physicians agreed that he had few weeks to live and he felt that he was dying little divining that the agony was to be prolonged for ten horrible years it is unnecessary to dwell upon these years of darkness in which heine shrivelled to the proportions of a child languished upon his mattress grave in paris his patient resignation his indomitable will his sweetness and gaiety of temper 
and his unimpaired vigor and fertility of intellect are too fresh in the memory of many living witnesses and have been too frequently and recently described to make it needful here to enlarge upon them in the crucial hour he proved no recreant to the convictions for which he had battled and bled during a lifetime of the report that his illness had materially modified his religious opinions he has left a complete and emphatic denial i must expressly contradict the rumour that i have retreated to the threshold of any sort of church or that i have reposed upon its bosom no my religious views and convictions have remained free from all churchdom no belfry chime has allured me no altar taper has dazzled me i have trifled with no symbol and have not utterly renounced my reason i have forsworn nothing not even my old pagan gods from whom it is true i have parted but parted in love and friendship i am no longer a divine biped he wrote i am no longer the freest german after goethe as ruge has named me in healthier days i am no longer the great hero number two who was compared with the grape-crowned dionysius whilst my colleague number one enjoyed the title of a grand ducal weimarian jupiter i am no longer a joyous somewhat corpulent hellenist laughing cheerfully down upon the melancholy nazarenes i am now a poor fatally ill jew an emaciated picture of woe an unhappy man thus side by side flowed on the continuous streams of that wit and pathos which he poured forth inexhaustibly to the very end no word of complaint or impatience ever passed his lips on the contrary with his old irresistible humour his fancy played about his own privations and sufferings and tried to alleviate for his devoted wife and friends the pain of the heart-rending spectacle his delicate consideration prompted him to spare his venerable mother all knowledge of his illness he wrote to her every month in his customary cheerful way and in sending her the latest volumes of his poetry he caused a separate copy always to be printed from which all allusions to his malady were expunged for that matter he said that any son could be as wretched and miserable as i no mother would believe alas if he had known how much more eloquent and noble a refutation his life would afford than his mistaken passionate response to the imputations of his enemies is this patient martyr the man of whom borner wrote with his sybarite nature the fall of a rose-leaf can disturb heine's slumber he whom all asperities fatigue whom all discords trouble let such a one neither move nor think let him go to bed and shut his eyes only in his last poems which were not to be published till after his death has heine given free vent to the bitterness of his anguish during the long sleepless night when he lay writhing with pain or exhausted by previous paroxysms his mind preternaturally clear and vigorous conceived the glowing fantasies of the roman cheryl or the job-like lamentations of the lazarus poems this mental exercise was his protection against insanity and the thought of his cherished wife he affirmed was his only safeguard against the delirious desire to seize the morphine bottle by his side 
and with one draught put an end to his agony on the night of the sixteenth of february eighteen fifty six came the long craved release and on the twentieth of february without mass or kaddish according to his express wish he was buried in the cemetery of montmartre end of section this recording is in the public domain